Okay, so we're, we're on this sermon series continuing through uh, welcoming Christmas and what is the spirit of Christmas. I hear even today on the news this morning as I was getting ready, um, they were talking about the spirit of Christmas and I was like, hmm, that's interesting, or the spirit of the season now because you don't want to be too um, set. So, um, so we're talking about what does that look like? What does that mean, welcoming the spirit of Christmas and welcoming uh, for us, we've been talking about different things that we can welcome into our lives. The first Sunday we talked about angels, angels, so welcoming angels, the heavenly host, the divine, um, the wonder of the season, to allow ourselves to experience the wonder of the season. And then the next Sunday we talked about welcoming adversity. Everybody forgot that one because... I don't want to think about that. <laughs> I don't want to think about adversity, but, but to recognize that adversity is part of life, um, and so sometimes we go through difficult times, and especially, I think, when God is on the move, or as some people like to say, Aslan is on the move, when, when God is on the move, expect adversity, because life is going to get a little tough. Um, the enemy notices God's spirit working, and suddenly the enemy gets busy too, and so we expect adversity at that time. And then last week we talked about welcoming shepherds, shepherds yes. And so um, we focused on who the shepherds represented, and um, so today we're talking about the magi, the wise men, the three kings, if you will. Now, there's a few myths about this. One is that there were three. We have no idea that there were three. Um, we just know that there were three gifts that they brought, and so some people started to put that together as three, and, and because the hymns that we sing say that there were three, we believe that there were three, but it doesn't say that in the Bible anywhere. And in fact, in the Eastern Church, um, they believe there were 12, 12 kings, or wise men, or magi. Um, the second myth is that they showed up the night Jesus was born. That's absolutely not true. Um, because Jesus was born, they saw the star, and they came. They came from the east, right? And so, um, and in Matthew, he uses the Greek word magos to describe them. Magos. So that's why I use the word magi. Um, that's the English word for magos. Um, but magos comes from the Persian word Magupati, Magupati, uh, sounds like a linebacker for the 49ers, um, which I'm sorry if there's Rams fans here, I apologize, uh, being a 49ers fan, um, I feel like I'm in hostile territory, but um, this is, it, Magi is where we get the word magic, of course, and so these, they, some would say they were magicians, but they really were scientists, and they read the stars, and they were astronomers and uh, somewhat astrologers. Um, and, and so they came from the east, we would say uh, of Orient R, uh, is what we sing in that, that song. Um, but because Magupati is Persian, we kind of think probably from the area of, of modern-day Iran or uh, where Baghdad is or Iraq or something like that. That's about 1,500 miles. So if you figure that they're traveling about 1,500 miles on camel, uh, it would take a little while to get to Israel. Um, you know, so the baby was at least 
at least two months old. Um, but according to Herod, who went to have every boy two years, two years old and younger, and he had based that on when the uh, wise men said that they first saw the star, that would suggest that Jesus could have been anywhere from two months old to two years old, okay? So, uh, and in fact, the Greek word for when they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, child is a different word than infant in the Greek. So Jesus could have been standing there, um, not, you know, this tall, but um, he could have been a toddler at this point, uh, very much, uh, very realistically. And we use the, the term kings. Now, where did kings come from? It's not from the New Testament. It doesn't say that in um, Matthew's description. But what Scott read a minute ago from Isaiah, nations shall come and kings shall bow down. And that's also repeated in Psalm 72:11. describes that kings come to worship the Messiah. And so we kind of projected that onto the idea that these individuals that came were kings. Uh, Psalm 72 says, may all kings fall down before him, all nations give him service. And, and several of the prophets talked about the kings from different nations and princes coming to worship God. So, um, so that kind of knocks through some of the, the uh, myths surrounding the, the magi, the wise men. Uh, the, the, and why do we call them wise men? Probably because they stopped and asked for directions. Um, because that's so unusual for men, you know. I'll figure it out. Um, but they did stop at, at King Herod and say, hey, we're here to do this. And yeah. So, um, but last week we talked about the shepherds and what did they represent? And they, they kind of represented the poor. They represented the people of Israel, the chosen. They also represented shepherds, which Jesus was to become the good shepherd. Um, in fact, that's even mentioned in the scripture that we read this morning from Matthew. Um, but God has a heart for the poor, and, and we recognize that in scripture. The Psalms say, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Uh, Isaiah says, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked, to cover them. And Jesus uh, quoted from Isaiah in his first sermon, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the, to the poor, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And of course, Jesus in Matthew 25 gave that great sermon. And at the end, he said, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Jesus was identifying himself with the poor, with the outcast, with the oppressed. Um, and then in Luke Chapter 1, I love this. We sing this sometimes at Christmas time, the Magnificat, of when Mary found out that she was going to give birth to the Savior, to the Messiah, and she was so overcome, and she sang this song called the Magnificat. Um, and she says this, For 
He has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich empty away. So God has this a special place in his heart for the poor. Uh, Psalm 140, I just, I was like, I, I wrote down a ton of these. I'm only going to read a few. Um, I know that the Lord maintains the cause of the needy and executes justice for the poor. And again, Psalm 107, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in track, trackless wastes, but he raises up the needy out of distress and makes their families like flocks. And again, Psalm 109, for God stands at the right hand of the needy to save them from those who, had, who would condemn them. And again in Psalm 140, I know the Lord maintains the cause of the needy and ex executes justice for the poor. So over and over again within Scripture, we recognize God has a special place in his heart for those who are struggling financially. But then along come the, the three wise men. And I'm just so happy that they came, that it wasn't just the shepherds, the shepherds who were kind of the blue-collar workers, the the workers out in the industry and uh, working on the plains, but the wise men came. Who do they represent? Well, first of all, they're foreigners. They're Gentiles. They're not people from the Israel. They're not part of the chosen race. They're educated, and they're wealthy. I think that's awesome that the nativity scene represents both the poor and the rich, the people who are on the inside and the people who are on the outside. Everyone is welcome at the nativity, at the birth of Jesus. The shepherds represent the working class, the people of Israel, the chosen race, the insiders. The magi represent the elite, the Gentiles, the foreigners, the educated, the people who are the outsiders. And the nativity welcomes both. Everyone's welcome to Christ. I think it is so important that the nativity welcomes both. The working class and the elite, the chosen and the Gentiles, the insiders and the outsiders. And, and in fact, Jesus identifies with both. You know, it, in Matthew 25, we read that a moment ago, he identified with the poor. I was poor, and you gave me something. In Matthew 8.20, he says, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was a homeless man. He lived without a home. But he also identifies with kings. He teaches a great deal about the kingdom of God. In fact, he mentions the kingdom of heaven 32 times in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He says, the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. He entered Jerusalem as a king, riding on a donkey. And he told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. So he identifies himself as a king. Revelation 19 says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
Makes you want to sing the Hallelujah Chorus, right? King of kings. Um, better than Highway to the Manger Zone. <coughs> um, so my concern is that sometimes we um, harshly criticize the wealthy. Sometimes we attack them. I see that in the political realm today. It's like, ah, oh, the wealthy, blah, blah, blah. We're going to tax the brick out of them. One of the candidates' bylines. And I kind of think, really? I mean, why? So what makes it different in Scripture? It's the heart, right? It doesn't matter whether you have money or don't have money. Your heart is what's important. What's interesting to me is every time that wealthy are condemned in Scripture, it's almost always tied to the word pride. When people become proud, when they become haughty, when they begin, when they begin to uh, oppress the poor and take advantage of the poor and exploit the poor, then God condemns them. Jesus said, all who exalt themselves will be humbled. Get that? Exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. And James writes, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I guess that's why I love this story and why I get so caught up when I read the story of the Magi, because here they are, educated, wealthy, uh, all these things. And what do they do when they walk into this home in Bethlehem and they see this little child, whether he's standing or whether he's in the arms of his mother, and they kneel down and pay him homage. In that culture, that is great respect. That is great humility. They humble themselves before the Lord. It's just a little child, and yet they kneel before him. So as a church, as a congregation, as the family of God, let's be careful not to judge based on financial situation. Paul says, in Christ there is no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female. That slave nor free, those are the status of the day that he was writing. In Christ there's no longer a distinction. We are sisters and brothers whether you're super rich or super poor. We are brothers and sisters. Being rich is not a sin. Oppressing the poor is. Taking advantage of the poor is. Exploiting the poor is. Treating the poor as less than human is. But being rich is not a sin. There's that most, much misquoted verse, right? Money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. When a person loves money more than God, then that becomes a, an issue. Again, a person's heart is more important than their social status. The wise men humbled themselves. I guess that's one reason I love that the uh, A Christmas Carol by Dickens. 
Ebenezer was a right crotchety old guy. <laughs> he was a miser, and uh, he was an embittered miser. But he was transformed. He became a repentant sinner. He was transformed. So when we think of the nativity this time of year, we see poor and rich, uneducated and educated, low-income and upper-class, regular folk and elite, all kneeling before the baby Jesus. If you are poor, you are welcome. If you are rich, you are welcome. All are welcome to come and worship at the feet of Jesus. As we focus on welcoming Christmas, let us welcome all who come to worship the newborn king. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this season. I thank you for your incarnation, that you left your throne in heaven. You were in wealthy, um, well, beyond our human understanding of what wealth looks like. Uh, you gave all of that up and came to earth, and you were born in a, in a stable, placed in a manger. You identified with the poor. But you welcome all people to yourself, Lord God. Even Zacchaeus, a wealthy tax collector, when he came to you and humbled himself, you welcomed him and said salvation had come to his house. So remind us of that fact, Lord God. Help us to check our hearts, to understand where our hearts are. May we be humble. May we seek to exalt you and not ourselves. And may we reach out in love to all people, whether they are from the United States or from a foreign country, whether they are wealthy or whether they are not. May we welcome all people in your name at this season. We pray this in your name. Amen.